Good Sunday morning, and welcome to Forgiven, the weekly radio broadcast of Northeast Baptist Church of Danbury. We're happy that you tuned in today, and we hope you will find the program beneficial to you. Now, here's our pastor, Joe Vassett. Being a disciple of Jesus means being a soldier. The New Testament stresses the warfare mentality of the disciple of Jesus. War a good warfare, 1 Timothy 1.18 says. Fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6.12. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4. Being a disciple of Jesus means being a soldier for Christ. But we're not fighting a physical warfare. Ephesians 6.12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That means we're not fighting against people. It says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Each of those words and phrases, principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, each of these describes the organization of the Christian soldier's spiritual enemy, our unseen enemy. Disciples of Jesus have always been engaged in spiritual warfare. But disciples of Jesus have never been engaged in physically attacking or persecuting people for their faith or for their lack of faith. One of our former American presidents was fond of saying that all faiths have persecuted their enemies, including Christianity. But what he was referring to was the state-run church established by Emperor Constantine in the 4th century. That state-run church was responsible for unscriptural horrors such as the Crusades and the Inquisition. But these were not disciples of Jesus Christ. That was not the New Testament church, and that's not Bible Christianity. Anytime the state controls the church or the church becomes the state, that's a perversion of Christianity, a departure from Christianity. So no, Bible Christianity has never been a persecutor of people. And yet, it's still true that disciples of Jesus Christ have always been engaged in spiritual warfare. Our enemy is not people. Even the darkest, most God-hating, God-cursing atheist on the planet is not the Christian's enemy. The enemy is Satan and his organized spiritual forces. If the disciple of Jesus Christ is going to prevail against Satan, he must be spiritually armed. The Bible references our spiritual armor many times. Psalm 91 verse 4, His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Romans 13 verse 12, Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 7, By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
These are just a small sampling. There are many passages in the Bible that talk about the Christian's spiritual armor. Of course, if you know your Bible well, you're probably getting frustrated right now saying, hey dummy, what about Ephesians 6? And you're absolutely right. I was saving Ephesians 6 for last because Ephesians 6 is the best known and the most descriptive passage in the Bible regarding the Christian's spiritual armor. And it's where we'll focus our attention for the rest of our time this morning. Listen carefully as I read to you the Bible's description of the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The armor of the Lord is a very well-known and much spoken about topic among Christians, and it should be. And yet, most Christians couldn't name the pieces of the armor as listed in Ephesians 6, nor could they tell you how each piece protects them or how to be sure that each piece is in place every day. How can we expect to be victorious for the Lord if we're not familiar with our armor? How can we thrive for the Lord living in this increasingly wicked world with the darkness closing in day by day? How can we possibly prevail if we can't even name the pieces of the armor that God has provided. Several years ago, my wife and I were asked to speak at a church's marriage retreat in Pennsylvania. On the last day of the retreat, we were having a split session. My wife spoke to the women, and I spoke to the men. There were probably 50 men in the room. When I finished speaking, the pastor opened up the room for discussion, and several men contributed. And then one of the men in the room spoke up with a comment that I've never forgotten. This man was a colonel in the United States Army. He had done several tours in Iraq. He said, you know, being back home, I've realized something that has really been sobering for me. When I was in Iraq, we never would have left the safety of the green zone to go into the danger of the red zone without being fully armed and fully focused. He said, when you enter the red zone, you know your life is at risk. You know you must expect to be in combat at any given moment. Every soldier takes every possible measure to be prepared at all times. But now being home, he said, I have a spiritual enemy who is relentless. And yet, I'll walk right out of my house some days, right into the spiritual red zone, without making sure that I'm fully armed and focused to face Satan's attacks. He said, Being a vigilant American soldier has led me to become a vigilant spiritual soldier. 
Christian, do you take time each day to put on the whole armor of God? Do you know what each piece of the armor will do for you? Do you know how to put on each piece? This morning, we're going to look at each piece of the armor as described in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. We're going to talk about how each piece protects you and in practical terms, how to put each piece to work each day. Yes, this topic deserves hours of study and consideration. But in addition to that, it also demands a simple, concise explanation, which is what I hope to provide you with today. The first piece of the armor is found in verse 14. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. The word loins refers to the center of your strength, your core. So to have your loins girt about with truth, as the Bible says, means that you are protected. You are strengthened at your very core. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. In ancient armor, soldiers wore a belt, usually made of leather. That belt was of various widths depending on the time period and depending on the soldier himself. That leather belt was typically the first piece of armor that the soldier put on. And even when he removed all of his other armor, he would likely keep wearing the belt. It gave him security and strength. So this piece of armor made of leather strengthened and protected the soldier at his core. What is this piece made of in the Lord's armor? It consists of truth. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. To have your loins girt about with truth means that every day you are committed to truth at your core. It means that what holds me together at my core, the center of my strength, is my devotion to truth. We live in a world, and especially these days, when people would rather be lied to if it accommodates their wicked lifestyles and their selfish agendas. They'd rather be lied to than to hear the truth and be forced to do the hard work of changing. We see and hear people do and say things all the time that make us say, how can a person possibly think that? How can they do that? We can't change what other people do. I can't, you can't. But I can decide that I'm going to insist on knowing and believing the truth, that I'm not going to tolerate lies and inaccuracies, that at my core, I'm going to be devoted to the truth. Being devoted to the truth at my core means that I'm committed to being genuine. It means that I strive to tell the truth. I don't lie my way out of trouble. It means that I line up with the truth. It means that I'm committed to God's truth, his doctrines, his values. It means that I proceed on the basis of truth. It means that I let the Lord help me discern between truth and error. It means that when I identify error and lies, I reject them. It means that I'm committed to the advancement of truth. The first piece of the armor of the Lord is to stand having your loins girt about with truth, to be fully committed to truth at my core. The second piece is having on the breastplate of righteousness. Of course, the breastplate covers my upper body. It protects my vital organs, chiefly my heart. So in a nutshell, this piece protects my heart. Spiritually, the Bible describes the heart as the controlling element of my life. If my heart is corrupt, my life will be corrupt. If my heart is right with God, my life will be right with God. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, 
for out of it are the issues of life. In spiritual warfare, the protection of my heart is vital because if Satan can wound my heart, he can defeat me. If he can turn my heart away from God, away from God's word, away from the cross, away from God's spirit, away from God's church, if Satan can change my attitude towards any of these spiritual resources that God has provided for me, then he will succeed at harming my relationship with God, handicapping my growth, and hindering me from influencing others for Jesus Christ. I must protect my heart. Well, how do I do that? I protect my heart with a spiritual breastplate, a breastplate made of righteousness. Righteousness will protect my heart. It will keep my heart from being soured against God and the things of God. So what is righteousness? Righteousness is 100% a God word. If we apply the word righteousness to anyone else but God, we've stolen it. We've hijacked it. And why is that? Because God is the only source of righteousness. Only God is righteous. Only God has righteousness. And only God can dispense righteousness. Righteousness is only available to man through Jesus Christ. God gives righteousness to man through Jesus Christ. And God does this in two ways. To use theological terms, God imputes righteousness and he also imparts righteousness. What that means is God gives a legal once and for all righteousness and then he also gives a practical day-by-day righteousness. The legal once and for all imputed righteousness was credited to your record the moment you believed on Jesus. The moment a person gets saved, The righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to that person's eternal record and it can never be removed according to the promise of God. But the practical day-by-day imparted righteousness is given each day to the believer who daily returns to the cross of Christ and acknowledges that he or she is crucified with Christ, is dead to sin and self into this world, and will allow the risen Savior to live through him today. Where does the Bible say all that? Well, in many places. But it says it most succinctly in Galatians 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. As Christ lives through you each day by the power of the cross and the empty tomb, you are wearing the breastplate of righteousness. So to put on the breastplate of righteousness means that you go to the cross of Christ every day and you confirm again that you're dead with him so that he will live through you. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Next, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace, of course, is the message of God's salvation by grace, through faith, in the crucified, risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. This is the message that every believer is commissioned to share with the rest of the world. And we're to be prepared to share the message of the gospel at any given moment. 
the preparation of the gospel of peace. And it says our feet are to be shod. That is, we're to be wearing the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Here's what that means. The Bible describes in many different ways how the Christian is supposed to walk. Walk in the light. Walk in love. Walk worthy of your calling. Walk by faith. Walk in newness of life. Walk honestly. Walk in the spirit. Walk in good works. Walk in wisdom. These are just a few. There are many more. Now, put all of these walks, these multiple descriptions of a Christ-like lifestyle, put them together with your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And the result is that when you're walking the way you're supposed to walk, you'll be prepared to share the gospel at any given moment. And conversely, when you're living to share the gospel, you'll walk the way you're supposed to be walking. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You're living the life that is conducive to sharing the gospel message. The next piece of God's armor is, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Above all doesn't mean more important than the rest. It means covering the rest. Every soldier in that day carried a shield. That shield protected him from the arrows of the enemy. The shield of the Christian soldier protects him from the fiery darts of Satan. What are Satan's fiery darts? Well, Satan only has one weapon. Don't minimize that weapon. It's a powerful one. But understand, it's the only weapon he has. If you can learn to defend yourself against Satan's one weapon, you'll be able to survive his relentless attacks. So what is Satan's one weapon? Satan's one weapon is the lie. He defeats us by getting us to believe his lies. What about temptation, you say? Every temptation is nothing more than a lie. The Bible describes Satan's lies as fiery darts. To understand the power of fiery darts, picture the attack of a castle in ancient warfare. You've seen movies before that depict those kinds of scenes. So you've got one army up on top of the wall of the castle. They're firing down at the other army. It seems like they've got a massive advantage because the other army has to dodge their arrows while they're fighting back. They've got to cross that moat and they got to break down that massive castle door. But the attacking army has a different advantage. They're not trying to protect anything. They're not concerned with holding any ground. So they're shooting fiery arrows, not at the enemy, but over their heads into the castle. If they can get a fire burning inside the castle, they can get those soldiers off the wall fighting fires. And that's the purpose of Satan's fiery darts. Satan shoots lies at you in the form of accusations, insults, gossip, temptation, worry, fear, criticism, guilt, bitterness, and so on. If he can just get one of those arrows to land in your head so that it starts a mental fire that eventually spreads and becomes an emotional fire, 
a fire that'll rage and burn for years, and you ignore the spiritual warfare and start fighting the fires in your head and your heart, then he's got you. So many Christians are sidelined, powerless, defeated, because one of Satan's fiery darts started a fire in their mind and heart, a fire that's now burning out of control. So how do you stop those fiery darts? With your shield. Your shield of faith. Faith in God and in his word. You take the shield of faith by having such confidence in God and in his word that you recognize Satan's lies of suspicion, rumor, discord, criticism, accusation, and bitterness. And you fight them off so they never hit their target of your mind and your heart. The next piece of armor, and take the helmet of salvation. Obviously, a helmet protects your head. It helps you protect against a blow to the head. A spiritual blow to the head can result in doubt, discouragement, despair, depression, believing false doctrine. Each of these things poses a threat to the soldier of Christ. So how do you protect your head? With the helmet of salvation. Make your salvation your helmet. Cause your mind to be so filled with thoughts of your salvation that thoughts of doubt, despair, and false doctrine can't possibly take root. To put on the helmet of salvation is to be captivated by your salvation every day. Be saved. Be confident in your salvation. Be conscious of your salvation every day and be a student of your salvation. The next piece of armor and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You'll notice that in the Christian's armor, this is the only offensive weapon. And in my opinion, in this context, it's specifically urging us to memorize the Bible. A sword is useless to a soldier if it's not with him and readily accessible. And God's Word is powerless to help the Christian if it's only at home in the book form sitting on his nightstand. If the Bible's going to help you, you've got to be able to draw it quickly. And the only way you can face the circumstances of life with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is to have it permanently in your heart. It takes work. It takes discipline. But you can memorize passages of the Bible. You must memorize passages of the Bible if you want to be victorious in spiritual warfare. The last part of your armor is in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Wait a minute, there's no piece of armor mentioned there. That's because prayer is our marching orders. No soldier is effective unless he's following his marching orders. And the marching orders for the believer is to be praying constantly, praying about everything. There's no shortage of people and problems for us to intercede for. Prayer is the Christian soldier's marching orders. So here's your spiritual armor, Christian. Loins girt about with truth. It means that what holds me together at my core, the center of my strength, is my devotion to truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. It means to go to the cross every day and confirm again that I'm dead with him so that he will live through me. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It means to have your gospel-sharing shoes on so that your walk will be right. 
Take the shield of faith, which means to keep your faith in God and his word strong, to fight off Satan's lies with God's truth. Take the helmet of salvation. It means to protect your mind with constant confidence and consciousness of your salvation. Take the sword of the spirit. It means to proceed in everything with the word of God as your weapon. And be always carrying out your marching orders, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. If you'll incorporate these truths into your daily morning routine, you'll begin to know a victory in your spiritual walk that you've never known before. But let me make it clear. The armor of the Lord is of no value to the person who has never been born again. If you've never been born again, you've never turned from your sin and believed on Jesus as the crucified, risen Savior, then you're in the most extremely vulnerable position possible. But you can remedy that right now. When God says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, surely you don't disagree that you've broken God's commands over and over again. In God's sight, you're a sinner. Can you plead guilty to being a sinner? Do you understand that God's holiness and justice demand that the penalty for our sins is eternal damnation? That's an inescapable, irreversible sentence. But Jesus already took that sentence in your place. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus already took your sentence for you. So now every human being has two choices. You can trust Jesus' payment for your sin, or you can reject Jesus and face your eternal sentence when you die. If you want to believe on Jesus, then you just need to tell him so. Talk to God right there, right now. Dear God, I have sinned against you. I'm guilty. I'm sorry. I want to be forgiven. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Right now, I'm making Jesus my Savior. Jesus, come into my life. Take me to heaven when I die. Help me to know you while I live. Thank you for saving me. Amen. You will never make a more important decision. Take time every day to talk to God in prayer and let him talk to you through his word, the Bible. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and have a great week. The people of Northeast Baptist Church thank you for spending a few minutes with us this morning. We appreciate your time and we hope that you enjoyed the Forgiven broadcast. If you'd like to contact us with a comment or a prayer need, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at forgiven at nbcdanbury.org or you can call the church office at 203-798-7088. We invite you to join our live stream service this morning at 11. You can watch it at nbcdanbury.org on our Northeast Baptist Church Facebook page or on our YouTube channel. 
If you enjoyed the radio broadcast, you'll love our church services. We'll see you again next Sunday morning at 7. God bless you and have a great week. I am the child I stand here forgiven. My sins have